Amen. Before we get started, um, I just wanted to uh, pray for Ashley really quick. She's been having some uh, dizziness and just different things, and just we want to pray over her and those around her. If you just put your hand on her, we just want to pray that gets all situated and figured out. Amen. Amen. Lord, I just thank you for Ashley today. Lord, I pray that you'd heal her, Father, and Lord Jesus, the dizziness spells and the weakness and all those kinds of things, Father, that you would minister to her, that you would touch her, and that you would heal her. I pray that you'd strengthen her body. Lord, we just thank you that healing is the children's bread and that you're Jehovah Rapha, our healer. We thank you for that, Father, and we just pray and speak against the enemy right now and say no weapon formed against Ashley will ever prosper. And we thank you for your blessing on her life and for what you're doing in and through her and Jake. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Susan, it's great to see you this morning. Amen. I, uh, what a great, great day. Folks, we've been um, talking about Nehemiah for quite a while. I think this is the longest I've ever been in a book uh, preaching, and this is just such a rich book. If you get a chance to read through Nehemiah, I encourage you if you haven't already, but there's just such beautiful concepts on leadership, and especially during the times we live in where we need to build people back up and build our walls back up in our lives and God's protection for us. But um, I love this title of this message here today. Why don't we all say this together? Nothing changes if nothing changes. So we want change, and uh, everybody wants change, and, but it's something in our heart and our life that we really need to, uh, to, to kind of be that change. We need to be those who grow up and mature and, and get from the milk of God's Word to the meat of God's Word and, and uh, really become part of the body of Christ and understanding that. But nothing changes if nothing changes. If you could turn in your Bibles to Nehemiah chapter 10, we're going to pick up there. And we're also going to be in Romans chapter 13. Today is going to be a course on, uh, it's going to be a course on correction. It's going to be a course on really getting into the things of God and um, living out our faith. And um, I wanted to read Romans chapter 13, verse 11 first. Why don't we go there first? Holler when you're there. No one's there. (laughs) Romans 13, verse 11. This is all the more urgent for you to know how late it is. Time is running out. Can I get an amen there? Wake up, for our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. The night is almost gone. The day of salvation will soon be here. So remove your dark deeds like dirty clothes and put on the shining armor of right living. Because we belong to the day, we must live decent lives for all to see. Don't participate in the darkness of wild parties and drunkenness or sexual promiscuity, or immoral living, or in quarreling and jealousy. Instead, clothe yourself with the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ, and don't let yourself think about ways to indulge your evil desires. Now, I'm a pastor. I don't know if you knew that. 
I preach from this Bible. I know there are many pastors who don't. And there are many churches who stay on platitudes. And there are many people of faith that kind of stay away from the Bible. And I want you to know today, if you're going to ground your life in faith, it must be ground in the Word of God. We look back now, if you want to turn real quick, back to Nehemiah chapter 10. I remember I was doing a wedding for someone, and this couple was wanting us, me to do their wedding. And so I wanted to sit with them and talk with them a few sessions before they got married. And she said to me a funny thing. She was kind of wanting to pick and parcel what I was going to tell her about. And many people in the church would like that too. She was like, Pastor, I don't want to talk about all that submission stuff. You know, don't want to talk about all that. And I said, well, excuse me. I said, I'm a pastor and this is my playbook. I said, if you're wanting to use something else, it might be a good idea to get a different pastor. Can I get an amen? So what we've done in the American church is we've individualized our faith to a point to where we only take the pieces which apply to me. Right? And Nehemiah 10 gets into a place where now Nehemiah is bringing about reforms. It's not enough to us today to have memorized doctrine. If you memorize your doctrine, I appreciate it. It's really good. But that's not enough. It's not enough for us to memorize the Ten Commandments. How many know the Ten Commandments are really important? They're ripping them down courthouses and getting them out of public square. Those are really offensive things, aren't they? You know, do not kill. That's really offensive. We don't want to offend someone today. But these are laws that are in place, the commands of God, which our nation was founded upon. I don't know if you know this, but our nation was founded upon Judeo-Christian and Jewish values. If you read your history books, and well, they don't even have those history books in public school anymore, but they, they've changed that even. But Nehemiah chapter 10 says that the people agreed to obey. They agreed to obey. In fact, we're not going to read through all of it, but through 10, the people wrote down their vows. Remember when you walked down the aisle, you actually committed to vows for rich or for poor, for sickness and in health, till death do us part. Remember, those were vows we made. Do you know when you came to Christ, you made a vow, a commitment. You said, God, I'm going to follow you. I'm going to go after you. I'm going to chase after you. I'm going to live according to your word and according to your purpose. Now, does that mean anyone in this place is perfect? Absolutely not. Turn to someone and say, you are not perfect today. <laughs> but in Nehemiah 10, we have a reform happen. They repented. How many know repentance is important? To confess our sins, the Bible even says, to confess your sins one to another in faith. That's the New Testament, not Old Testament. So the Bible teaches us to confess. Now, confession is really important, isn't it? It's a place where we align ourselves and we realign ourselves. By the way, you should be confessing sin throughout the week. How many sinned at least once this last week? Okay, good, my wife. You did? Oh my gosh. No, I'm sorry. But, but we, all, we all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So throughout the week, if you're close to God, here's what's going to happen. You're going to start being checked down by the Holy Spirit because He leads, He guides, and counsels us. 
Now that doesn't mean that you and I walk around with a whip and we whip ourselves in the back all day to remind us how horrible we are. Amen? It does remind us that we live in check with the Spirit if we have a bad attitude about something, if we've done something over here, we've taken advantage of someone over here, did whatever, that we say, God, forgive me. And here's the other thing. You need to go to that person and say, will you forgive me? Maybe you've been offended by something and you're holding an offense and a grudge. Do you know that's going to affect your life with Christ? So the Reformation, if you will, comes and the people agree and they make these vows with between themselves and God. And maybe today, you know, that's why the Bible says, let your yeses be yeses, right? Let your yeas be yeas. Turn to someone and say, I'm going to start making some yeas. Os Guinness writes, the West has almost severed its roots and destroyed the root system. Led by the voice of anti-faith and the lure of false visions of freedom, the West is choosing to forget God and go its own way. At point after point, the societies and people of the West are squandering their Jewish and Christian heritage, flouting that their time-tested traditions and values, and carelessly opting for lifestyles, practices and institutions that rival even surpass those of pagan Rome. Unless these choices are reversed, the eventual outcome of this past will be um, degeneracy and the end of the Western civilization. God's moral and spiritual ecology can be no more violated with impunity than his environmental ecology. Therefore, like Samuel, we must say the following with boldness and with sorrow to our generation. Leaders and people of the West, these are your choices, and these will be your consequences. The choice is yours, but so also are the consequences. At some point, the consequences of your settled choices will be your own judgment. And beyond a shadow of a doubt, you will know that you have chosen the consequences. Will that day bring evident justice for the millions you've slaughtered unborn? Will it repay measure for measure the shattered lives of children whose families you have destroyed with your foolish alternatives to the natural family? Will your great God Mammon collapse and leave his devotees destitute? Will all the magic arts of your best technology fail and land their worshipers back in a state of Habersarian law nature? The future is yet unseen, but you are sowing the wind and you will reap the whirlwind. Wow. Is America going to give an account for the millions of unborn that have been slaughtered? I'm glad your stock portfolio looks good today, by the way. Will we just throw God and the traditional values that He's given to us, an institution that God formed thousands of years ago, and almost overnight erode the whole nuclear family and say, well, just whatever works for you. These alternatives. And then somehow we say that the Bible doesn't speak to it. I had an amazing moment. I had a person that actually texted me and said, Pastor, can you give me scriptures today to refute homosexuality? Like what it says. And I said, oh yeah. Like within five seconds I can give you 
New Testament, Old Testament, and everything in between of what God speaks to about sexual immorality and how we are to live our lives and be the temple of the Holy Spirit. Folks, if we're the church today in 2020, we cannot stay in platitudes and self-help any longer. We can't be in a place where we just kind of live with our own little faith. Well, your faith is your faith and mine is mine. No, my faith and your faith is built upon the very Word of God. It corrects me. It rebukes me. It challenges me not to be more comfortable with myself, but to be awakened with the power of Christ and say, this is my foundation now. For our part, he goes on to say, we are called as followers of Jesus Christ to be distinctive people. We are committed to live differently than this world. We will not worship your gods. And we will not live according to your ways. We will endeavor to live according to a higher law within a society that is now choosing a lower law or no law at all. We are citizens of the city of God and no more than resident aliens in the city of man. Folks, you and I today are to live like aliens in America. We are. We don't get our drum beat and step from a mob of people who tell us what we're supposed to do and what we're supposed to say and how we're supposed to act. We live our lives lock and step with the Word of Jesus Christ. And we should be excited today to know that I get my life and you get your life and your breath and your oxygen from something other than this world. I get my excitement. It's kind of like this. I heard an example of an astronaut. When an astronaut goes into outer space, he has his own tank, his own oxygen, if you will. I don't know what they, how they do it, but when they're walking around on the moon, and they did walk on the moon. I don't know if you know that or not. But that was a good joke. Jim, you're not laughing. That was a good one. Walking around and doing their spacewalk, they have that oxygen that they have. Your oxygen and my oxygen, our spiritual foundation, the way we stay alive, is not by breathing the air of this world, not by breathing the opinions of men, not by debating selflessly with all this other junk that's going out there. It's based on faith in Jesus Christ. Nehemiah goes through, so the people say, we agree to obey. Isn't it funny that you have to say to yourself, I agree to obey. You think about that for a moment. It's not enough for us to go to church. We have to be the people that say, I agree to obey. Then they did this. They write the vow. They start going, oh my gosh, we have got to start tithing again, start giving to God, start giving our lives to God. We've got to start treating the temple with reverence and respect. We promise together to not neglect the temple of our God. They're called out. Look what Nehemiah does. The Bible declares this for us believers. Come out from among them and be separate. You know, the gospel is so beautiful and so elegant. I was having a little conversation with my barber this week about the the whole Black Lives Matter movement and all that. And I said, listen, Mr. Barber, all Black Lives Matter. I said, I don't agree with buildings being burned down and people being terrorized and bricks being thrown at policemen's heads. The fact that we have to debate that today is crazy. And you know, when all this rioting is over with, 
and all the lawless people leave these streets, do you know who's going to be sweeping up the glass and getting the spray paint off the brick walls? Do you know who's going to be doing that? It's going to be people like you and I and small business owners who will be cleaning that up and be rebuilding like they were. You know, I heard this really poignant thing, and I wrote it in my other Bible, and I really got a kick out of it, and it was a life principle for me. And the preacher stood up there, I was in Bible school, and he said, any jackass can tear down a barn, but it takes a skilled carpenter to build one. And I laughed when I saw that. And I think about these people who are having businesses burned down for what? But then I also see another movement arising. I see people right now in Kenosha, Wisconsin. Just read your news. By the way, don't just read the news that comes through your Facebook feed. (laughs) Actually, get some news. And here, these preachers, they're preaching the gospel and the good news. And they're going to these cities, and they're setting up these portable baptismals. And they're preaching repentance in the gospel. And just blocks away from the chaos, the anarchy and the confusion and the hate is people who are standing for the gospel, preaching salvation, Jesus crucified, that He has a plan for your life and a purpose for you, and people are getting baptized. You're called out. By the way, You and I didn't choose Christ. Jesus chose us. So you're a called out one today. The Gospel's so beautiful. I said this to him. I said, listen, Mr. Barber. I said, when I would preach in the jails, I would go to the jails every week. One day was for one-on-one counseling, and the other day we would just preach to the guys and really go at it like what we're doing this morning. And what was so awesome was Steve Lapp, Middle class guy, white dude that combs his hair to the side for the past 30 years, could talk to a rough young man who's a druggie, who's gone through stuff, maybe stealing, whatever, and I could sit down with him. And I could tell him that me and him are on the same playing field. You know how we are? Because we forget this in the church too. That me and him deserve the same hell. And that Jesus Christ allows me and him to grab each other's hands and go into the same heaven. See, that's the gospel. That all have fallen short of the glory of God. And that me and him are in the same playing field. And that God opens up the hearts and the motives of man. And he sees that me and him need Christ, whether you're a thief on a cross next to Jesus, or if you're just an enraged little person, you need Christ just the same. And you're called out. Mark Sayers declares, we as believers are flawed and we are fallen. I heard another quote that says, that thin line between good and evil runs through the human heart, doesn't it? Every one of us have a human heart. and In fact, the Bible declares this, that the heart is desperately wicked. Folks, I want you to know today that we are saved by grace not of works, lest any man should boast. And so God calls you and me out to live for Him. And this is where careful living comes in. Now turn real quick to Nehemiah's various reforms that happen. Nehemiah 13. 
Nehemiah is pretty upset because according to the law of Moses, they weren't to intermarry with other cultures, other women from various cultures because they would bring all their gods into the situation. So what was happening with the Israelites, the Jewish people, was they were intermarrying. And Nehemiah said, no, this shouldn't be. Isn't it interesting how when you start getting called out for your sins, people say that's offensive and, and you're just nitpicking and all this kind of stuff. And God calls us out by His Word and He calls us to have careful living. Nehemiah continues to look under the hood of the car. He starts addressing things like not mixing various religions, what was happening with those people in that day, is they were actually taking bits and pieces of various religions and they were putting them together and it sounded beautiful and it sounded nice, didn't it? And see, Christ is the only way to heaven. Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. So we start seeing things Nehemiah 13.8, it says this. Somebody may want to read that out loud. Nehemiah 13.8. Where am I at anyway? I became very upset and I threw all of Tobiah's belongings out of the room. Can you imagine that moment? He's in the temple. And what was happening was the temple was giving favors to people and people of other faiths and stuff were coming in there. And Nehemiah said, this isn't, how the, this isn't how it's supposed to be. So Nehemiah gets very upset and he starts throwing stuff out the window. I remember a story of a guy that I used to work with at Highlander and his wife. He had come home and he noticed that his wife was taking a hammer to the television out in the front porch. And he said, what's going on? And she had enough of what was being watched inside that house. Folks, you will not bring change to your life until you get upset with yourself and your circumstances and what's going on and actually bring change. He addresses the leaders and says, why has my temple been neglected? I want to give you, by the way, he mentions over and over again in this chapter 13 about how they are reinstituting the tithe and reinstituting the giving to take care of the temple. I'm going to give you a little financial secret here as Pastor Steve, as me and Anna have been tithing since we were literally born, by the way. Because if you're not going to tithe off the dollar you earn when you're a kid, you'll never tithe off the thousands of dollars that you get later on in life. Can I get an amen there? God will prove Himself faithful to you if you say to God, listen God, I trust you with my finances. And if you look at your checkbook and all you're doing is your little crumpled tip here and there to God and you're not focused in your life and giving to God, God will never have the whole you. He'll only have the version of you. He won't have the complete you. You won't be the cheerful giver that God wants you to be. Honor God through your giving. And I don't know about this, but if you heard Oz Guinness when he was writing about mammon... You know, God says you'll either serve me or mammon. If your focus is houses and boats and vacations, you will always be consumed with yourself. So Nehemiah continues his carefrontation. Turn us around real quick and say, I need some carefrontation. Nehemiah 13, 25 through 28 says, So I confronted them and called down. I beat some of them and pulled out their hair. 
I made them swear in the name of God that they would never let their children intermarry with the pagan people of the land. Wasn't this exactly what led King Solomon of Israel to sin? I demanded. There was no king from any nation who could compare to him, and God loved him and made him king over all of Israel, but even he was led into sin by his foreign wives. How could you even think of committing a sinful deed and acting unfaithfully toward God by marrying foreign women? By the way, today this isn't about race stuff, so don't get into that. That's not what the point of this is. The point of this is culturally where you're at. In fact, the New Testament would say this, don't be unequally yoked. Don't be married and don't be together with someone who is not of faith. If you're out there in the dating scene and you're looking for people, your first question shouldn't be what kind of career they are, how handsome or beautiful they are. Your question should be, number one, do they have a relationship with Jesus Christ? I could care less if one of my daughters came in and said, wow, look at this doctor or this lawyer. This, he's powerful this way. He does this. Dad, isn't that great? He's on the city council. He knows this guy and that. I would say, does he know Jesus? I don't care. I don't care if you're rich or poor. Is he going to care for you with the heart of Christ? Nehemiah starts pulling their hair. What are you doing? And do you think for a moment, my biggest concern isn't someone burning an American flag right now. Do you know that? Do you know my biggest concern right now? Is the leader of our churches across America not living out their faith in Jesus Christ? We had another huge leader of the evangelical movement just went down to the best that he's been in. Prior to that, another one and another one and another one. Do you think for a moment that the church in America is evaporating because of our lack of intensity towards Jesus Christ and living loose, loose lives? So Nehemiah says, great, we've got walls up. This isn't going to work. What are you doing? Why are you living this way? You want God to bless us? We want God to bless America? And we in the church are living how we live in America? We need to come back to the table of God's Word. And if you have absolutely no convictions in your life right now, this is for you. If there's nothing searing, if there's nothing hurting your heart right now, Jesus breaks our heart, believe it or not. He breaks it down. He replaces our heart of stone and He gives us a heart of flesh so we can actually feel again. Know Jesus' heart on the issues that we face actually define what sin is. Do you know the first thing Jesus did? You know, he preaching out of the gate, we forget Jesus, he was this nice guy. He just loved people. Jesus loved everyone. Yeah, but you know what Jesus was preaching in love? Right out of the gate, Jesus Christ was preaching repentance. 
So Nehemiah continues his confrontation. He said, so I confronted some of them. I called down curses on them. I beat some of them. And I pulled out their hair. How would you like to come to church some Sunday like that? We wouldn't get, uh, wouldn't, wouldn't be too good. I promise you we'll never pull hair here. So we might want to, but uh, we won't. By the way, Nehemiah loved his brothers and sisters and didn't want them going the wrong way by living in sin. Do you know what makes a really great parent is a parent that just doesn't want buddies for kids but actually speaks truth to their kids and tells them right for wrong? That's a really good parent. Do you know what a really good friend is? A friend is an iron sharpens iron, and if you see your friend going through some tough stuff, pray with them, but if you see something wrong in their life, Take them aside, take them out for a coffee, talk to them, pray with them. But God's put you in their life to maybe speak some truth into their life and say what you're doing is wrong. It's not okay. We miss that in the church. We are so flaky, we have no spine. We're like a wet noodle right now. I hope each and every one of us would get some strength and confidence. And if we see a brother in sin... We would speak to them in truth and love and private and not just sweep things under the rug. How many of you know the church loved to sweep things under the rug? Issues, situations. We just, just keep sweeping under the rug. Just, just keep talking. It's going to go away sometime. How many of you know anybody have any closets in your house where you've swept a little not too good lately? You have the boxes there, the stuff there, everything going on. I was telling about the front closet. I apologize, this is my fault, but our front closet at church is horrible. Don't look at it today, but it's horrible. I hope each and every one of us would get that strength. I think about our Bible studies, our women's groups, our men's group, the relationships here. Pray with people, build them up, speak to them, but do it in love. And do it privately. Ray Stedman writes this. Some people may look at the story and accuse Nehemiah of overreacting. I love what he says. He says, The reason people often feel this way today is that we have largely lost the ability to feel outraged over actions that are morally and spiritually outrageous. We have lost our ability to view sin the way God views sin. In fact, in our culture today, people generally stand up for indecency and depravity while condemning those who take a moral stand. He says, if a filmmaker makes a motion picture that slanders and blasphemes Jesus Christ, he will be hailed as a visionary and genius. But should a person make a motion picture that treats the gospel story with reverence and respect, and that person will be hated and ridiculed in media. Those who reap obscene profits from abortion mills are hailed defenders of choice in the media today. But if someone takes a compassionate moral stand against the killing of unborn babies, he or she will be labeled anti-choice and an enemy of women's health. I think it's beautiful how our churches can rise up to the injustices going on. R.T. Moore wrote a parable called The Carpenter's Tools. And it was, a, it was an amazing little story. In fact, Sandra, if you want to come up here and start playing... I wanted us to think on this story for a moment and we think about our life and how change needs to happen in our own hearts and our own souls and the vows we need to make and renew. Our team Moore wrote a parable called The Carpenter's Tools. 
The carpenter's tools gathered for a meeting, but there was an uprising among the tools. They objected to Brother Hammer because he was a noisy, and they said he must leave the meeting. Brother Hammer angrily responded, All right, if that's the way you want it, I'll go. But if you're kicking me out, you should kick Brother Screwdriver out as well. He can't drive a nail as nicely as I can. You have to turn him around and around and around to get him anywhere. Brother Screwdriver said, If you kick me out, Brother Sandpaper must go as well. He's so superficial. There's no depth to his work. Besides, he's always rubbing others the wrong way. Brother Sandpaper said, Well, if I have to go, Brother Ruler should certainly go. Who does he think he is always measuring people as he was the only one who's right? Brother Ruler was about to protest when the door of the workshop opened and the carpenter of Nazareth walked in to work on his latest project, a pulpit for preaching the good news to the poor. Over the next few hours, the carpenter used Brother Screwdriver, Brother Sandpaper, Brother Ruler, and many other tools in the workshop. When the carpenter had finished, there stood a beautiful pulpit, fit for the ministry of God's Word. So Brother Saw arose and in a humble voice said, Brother and sister, it seems that we are all laborers together, tools in the hands of the Master, and not one of us is more important than the other, nor should any of us be able to feel unwelcome in the Master's workshop. So see, we're all mighty, mighty tools, right? Some of you are hammers in here. I'm probably a hammer. <laughs> Today I was. <laughs> Some of you are sandpaper. I love the teachers, the people that are able to kind of talk and help people to understand. Some are screwdrivers and some are rulers. And God gives them each purposes. And as our church and our body comes together, we work together to build this up. And Nehemiah, when he was bringing change and when he was challenging people and saying, let's vow to be what God has called us to be. And do you know how you do it? By the way, I was at a church back in the day, that would measure the women's skirts to make sure they were so high. Women couldn't come to chapel if they didn't have a long skirt on. They couldn't wear pants. This is not what I'm talking about. That's not reform. That's pharisaical. And Jesus really was quick to go after that stuff. So I'm glad today that you don't drink and you don't smoke and you don't swear, but it goes much deeper than that. Much deeper. Because if heaven was all based on not drinking, smoking, and swearing, then by golly, we'd all have it figured out by now, wouldn't we? But today, as we get our commitments right with Christ, our views aligned with Scripture, there are so many opposing views out there, it's ridiculous. It's really becoming easy now in these last days to see the believers from the unbelievers. And also it's easy to see those who are serious about their faith in Christ and those who are just playing church. I love it. Because clear lines are being defined. Jesus declared this. We must understand this. That you choose this day whom you will serve. And it's very important for us when he spoke that to Joshua that my life and your life is hidden in Christ. But realize today that you're a tool. Now that didn't sound right. Realize today that you're a tool today. You're a hammer. You're a screwdriver. You're a ruler. You're a saw. Whatever it is. But be used of God. And take His Word seriously today. Why don't we close our eyes for a moment. Today, I don't feel led to necessarily respond and have different people raise their hands. I think this is a call to action for all of us. I don't know about you, but I got a lot of work left to do on me. 
And Jesus said, be careful about the speck in your brother's eye when you've got a log sticking out of yours. So today we all sit at the table with Christ who paid a mighty price for us to live this. And He commands us to be holy. And today I'm so thankful that it's not based on the type of clothing I wear or how my hair is parted, but but on the grace of Jesus Christ. That my holiness that I have today was given to me, my righteousness was given to me by Jesus' death on the cross. But today, maybe you decide, I need to make a vow, a promise. Renew my vows with Christ. There are some things I've let go. I don't, I don't feel sin's conviction anymore. I don't respond to His voice. I don't hear His voice. I don't open His Word to see what His Word says about these issues. I just go by opinions. And folks, let me tell you today, when you read His Word, there will be things you will read that will make you uncomfortable. But its goal is to change you and to make you more like Jesus Christ. Today, can we all agree, like what they did in Nehemiah, to obey God's Word? And this week, if you stumble, it's okay. Get up. Go again. God's mercies are new. If you have questions about verses of Scripture, text me. Text someone here. Call someone. Ask them. Dive into His Word. But challenge your own opinions and your own thoughts in light of God's Word. Not according to a mob. Be a disciple. Disciples are rare. Broad is the way to destruction, but narrow is the way of salvation. Become a disciple. Jesus declares to all of us, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. This church, every one of us, we're hammers, we're screwdrivers, we're rulers, we're sandpaper. Every one of us are called to the body of Christ to sharpen each other, iron sharpens iron. To become more like Christ. Today, can we all pray this prayer together? Dear Jesus, thank You for Your Word. Thank You for challenging me. Change me from the inside out. I don't want to be a hypocrite. I want to live according to your word. God, change my heart. Change me. God, thank you for making me more and more like you. Forgive me, God, for my ignorant assumptions of the issues of today. Forgive me, God, for not spending time in Your Word. I want to seek after You. And Your Word declares that I will find You when I seek You with all of my heart.
Thank you, God, for what you're doing in my heart, for what you're doing in my church, and for what you're doing in my city. In Jesus' name, amen. Folks, I love you so much. What an awesome day. This weekend, by the way, or next weekend, we'll be at the Swedish American. <laughs> Swedish Heritage. Don't go there. Well, but um, we'll be at Swedish Heritage next week, 10 o'clock. Bring your own picnic basket and um, that sort of stuff there. We'll be there. And next, the following week, we're going to start in Esther. I cannot wait to start in Esther here on Sundays at church. But we look forward to seeing you guys. Love you so much. Thank you for being the body of Christ. God bless.